You're listening to Growing Up 80s, Episode 6. Today, we're talking about space, Lego, and video games. Yeah. Now, that could be confusing. You might think that we're talking about three things, space, <laughs> Lego, and video games. Or you might think we're talking about space, Lego, and video games. Yeah, or Lego video games. We, we might be talking about space, Lego, video games, but we're not doing any of those things. Well, we're not doing all of those things. Well, I don't think we're doing... Yeah, Some I of those things. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but... We're talking space Lego. Yeah. And space video games. From the 80s. Of course. So it doesn't include the Lego video games. That's right, because this is grown up 80s. This, this is, is stuff from our childhood <laughs> as we grew up in the 80s. We sure did. As always, do we introduce ourselves on the couch? I don't know if we do that, but I'm, I, I'm Robin. I'm Darren, and we're sitting in the basement reminiscing about things we enjoyed from our childhood and that we still enjoy now. What'd you want to talk about first night? Cause tonight is all Robin's choice. The, Cause Ooh, space Lego was your idea. You're right. And space video games was your idea. Well, now I feel like selfish or something. That's okay. Or shellfish. I, I don't really feel shellfish. I just said that. So Darren, we haven't done like a podcast for growing up 80s since like mid October. I know you got like on this video kick and you were yeah. putting out videos and they're great. And we just haven't sat down to podcast. Yeah. And you know, we didn't even tell our podcast listeners that we were going to do this. Well, I don't even know that we knew that we, were, I don't think we, we knew it. Just that. all of a sudden I showed up here. I had the new C64 mini. Yes. The mini Commodore 64 hooks up to your modern TV. And we did a video. Does Darren really need a C64 mini? And you know what the answer was? What was the answer? No. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. I know what I'm getting for Christmas. Something you don't need. And it was like 50% off. Yeah, isn't that great? Isn't that nuts? Yeah, Walmart yeah. had it. Yes, that big box retailer had it 50% off. Yeah, that's great. And so, I, I think you went to go buy yourself one yeah, and then ran into your wife. Who happened to have one. It's like, what are you doing here? What, <laughs> what are, are you, you doing, doing here? here? Listener, if you are a person who watches YouTube videos... Please look for us. If you search Growing Up 80s on YouTube, mm -hmm. you should find us. And otherwise, just we'll obviously have links on our webpage as That's well. That's right. Go to thecouch.website for all of your Darren and Robin podcast needs. Yeah. That first video, that Do I Need the C64 Mini, just yep. broke 1,000 views. Right on. Which is a lot of views. That is respectable yeah. for a couple of nobodies. A couple of nobodies just starting a new channel. Yeah. That was really good. Oh, and, and Robin has started doing a series of videos called 8-Bit Show and Tell. Yeah. Separate from the Grown Up 80s channel, where he is doing at least the first two videos were Commodore 64 programming related things, where he shows off some neat things about the Commodore 64, things you might not know about programming. He did one on error messages and he did one on optimizing code. That, that's um, right. Kind of thing. And recently you had like a whole bunch of like, I don't want to call them like big name stars, but... There was a, there's been a lot of fun people. The way that we've been releasing videos lately is we've been using that YouTube premiere thing yeah. where it gets released at a certain time and there's a live chat and it's been fun because like for most of the premieres, folks have shown up and yeah. it's been a little fun time in the chat as it's been going on. And Yeah, it's really exciting. We've had uh, Mind Flare Retro, who is uh, another Canadian YouTube guy. Yeah. And he's in with the whole circle with Jan Beta. Oh, yeah. Who uh, does yeah, neat repair yeah. videos over in 
Where is Jan? Scan the Finlandia. Yeah, yeah. He's he's in that area. Perifractic. Oh yeah. Uh is in the circle. And the eight bit guy. Yeah. Super famous, the 8-Bit guy, who's yep. been on our show. He has been on our podcast. Uh, and has like a million subscribers. No kidding. He was in that kind of circle of YouTubers as well. Neat. Where they did a neat video, took an Apple II case and put a retro pie inside of it. Oh, yeah. And then just did neat things with him, mailed it from one country to another. Oh, right on. And each one did some tweaks and everything. I think the 8-Bit guy kind of took... At the end, he took like everybody's stuff out and put, fixed it all up or something. It was kind of funny. But anyway, it was it was a really good video. Right on. You can also look up 8-Bit Show and Tell. Please join me on that. That's mm-hmm. a separate project. But if you are into Commerce 64 or if you're into programming at all, retro programming, I think you'll enjoy some way of doing yeah, another couple of videos from now. I'm going to be revealing an Easter egg in a Commodore 64 game that nobody has ever discovered. Really? I think I discovered it. Cool. And I'm going to explain how that happened and how it works and show it. And I'm looking forward to that one. Two more things that happened on Twitter today. Yep. This was just exciting. A guy named Ron Fortier liked two of my tweets. Now, who's Ron Fortier? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know. Yeah. He is the programmer of Bruce Lee, the super classic game, Bruce Lee. Yeah. So he liked two of my tweets that were Bruce Lee related. Wow. So that was so cool. And then I found uh, my instruction manual for the game Iridium. Mm -hmm. And we just played Iridium on the YouTube. Great game. Yes. So Andrew Braybrook, I posted the cover of the little known North American release mm-hmm. of the game, the instruction book, and how it was encouraging people to send in their warranty card so they could get updates on Iridium. That seems strange. It is strange. <laughs> so I posted that, and Andrew Braybrook himself replied. Wow. And said, he said, yeah, I think they were just trying to harvest, uh, <laughs> you know, addresses Add to out the of mailing uh, yeah, list, yeah. Add to the mailing list look at you like so rubbing it's called rubbing shoulders rubbing I, elbows i with guess the so who's it's who it, of twitter land from retro color yeah, 64 these are, days these are heroes yeah. of, of ours somebody else replied to that iridium post and said well there was iridium plus iridium plus was an updated version of iridium okay subtle yeah it turns out that is what's in the c64 mini and we didn't know it Do you remember the one thing, uh, Darren and I did a video of our five favorite C64 mini games included, and Iridium was one of them. That's right. And do you remember the weird thing about Iridium? Both of us I did really well. Oh, you did well. But there was something that happened during the gameplay that we both thought, hey, that's a little weird that's happening. Yeah, we landed really quickly before the warning chimes came on at at the end of the ship. Apparently, Iridium Plus does not require you to wait to wait or to achieve something before yep. you can land. You can land whenever ah. you want. So so this is how I also discovered something we were talking about on the show. Cool. Brag time is over. Wow, Robin, you're cool. Aren't I cool? Did I convince you? I've always thought you're pretty cool. <laughs> Except in all the ways I'm not cool. <laughs> <laughs> If you're not on Twitter, I can understand there's trepidation. Yeah, there's some stupid stuff on Twitter. But know what? Just stay away from that. Yeah. Follow the fun people. There's all kinds of super great retro people on Twitter. If scandal and outrage isn't your thing, 
Yeah. Don't follow the scandalous, outrageous people. Yeah, just ignore all that and just don't talk. You don't want to talk about politics? I don't want to talk about politics. That's right. On Twitter, anyway. Just go there and there's all kinds of people into retro gaming, into Lego, and into the, the old books and movies we love. Yep. Fantastic place. And you know what? Within every community, you're going to find a group of folks who are going to say, you know what? We're going to all be positive about stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll find, you'll find good folks with good attitudes to hang out with. If yeah. That's what you're into. Yeah. It's up to you. You just don't, don't follow the noise. Yep. Don't follow the garbage. So Darren, mm -hmm. getting to topic one, we promised this ages ago. I know. Ages ago. Space Lego. I'm so excited to be finally talking about Space Lego. I am too. Now, when we talk about Space Lego, Lego in, in general, obviously is. If you don't know what Lego is. Yeah. What? Go find a podcast or a YouTube video that will explain what Lego is and then you come back. We don't need to explain it to you. Lego has, to me, become the one true toy, you know? Yeah, I understand what you mean by that. Yeah. Like, it can be whatever you need it to be. Yeah, you can make anything out of it. I've got quite a few children. You do. And we've learned, I've learned, that all the kids like Lego. Yep. And most, not all, but most other toys get broken, get forgotten. Nobody cares about them. Lego is one that the kids keep playing with. Yep. Even as they get older, they keep playing it. They reinvent it. It's whatever they want it to be. We were decorating last weekend for Christmas, hauled out the Lego to make the Lego diorama to put on the shelf, the Christmas Lego diorama. <laughs> right on. Yep. Now, a big part, the very first Lego sets I got weren't space Lego, but it wasn't long after because mm -hmm. around 1978 to 1979 is when Lego officially started its space Lego theme. That's right. Now, we could go way back to the really early days of Lego, but let's say like late 60s, early 70s, when Lego kind of started to become a thing. Yeah. It was a very generic play toy. There were bricks you could make things out of these bricks, but they were, they were quite low res. Could yeah, we say that they that, were very low right. res kind of toys, uh, not a lot of specialized pieces, maybe in the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies, you start getting things where they're sending you, you can buy kits where you can make houses that they were kind of, you know, deliberately pack in pieces so that you could make things that look like reasonable houses and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe there'd be doors and things like that. I would imagine that mid to late seventies is when the first real themed Lego sets were coming out. And yeah. maybe you probably know this. I'm guessing maybe space Lego was the first themed kind of kit. Maybe there was like town and city that, type Lego. That's right. I think there was then, town as well as, as a theme. Yeah. And there were actually a few three to be exact, uh, space related sets that came out through the 70s, yeah. but it wasn't until 78 that what we call classic space, sure. when they had invented the minifigures, mm -hmm. you know, the, those little men. What are they, 40 years old this year? Yeah. No, I, or 50 years old. 40 years old, I guess, 40 years year. old, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was right that same time that they introduced these little astronauts. Mm -hmm. And of course, like minifigures are just as big as ever, or bigger than ever now sure. with the Lego movie and yeah. so on. But they made these little astronauts first in red and white. Yes. And then they added yellow yes. a little while later. Yeah. And then they've made other colors and then after finally that. finally blue. <laughs> Benny. Yeah. That's when most people consider the beginning of the space theme. Okay. Yeah. And what we call classic space. And it went right. from... 78, 79 until about 86, 87. Mm -hmm. During that era, 
all the Lego sets, they, they changed in appearance, but they were all just these astronauts who were explorers. There was mm -hmm. no real conflict. After that, they started introducing other themes that would have like space pirates and bad yeah. guys and yeah. police and all that. Maybe towards the end of classic space Lego. Like when I yeah. think of classic space Lego and Robin's brought a few uh, yeah. to look at, but I, uh, we always think of like the blue ships yeah. with the gray wings. We think of the yellow translucent windows. I think of like white skinny fin type things. There's all these fins. I, I think I had a lot of fins. Yeah. I think of that as the classic space Lego, but towards the end of the first, like the initial classic space Lego, didn't they bring out some different type of like vehicles with different types of wheels and maybe green transparent glass yeah. that had lasery type shooter type things. <laughs> and for the most part, up until that point, it didn't seem to be like there were guns and lasers shooting around on space Lego. Th maybe there was right. a couple little pointy things like the one by twos with the little points on the front. That's right. Overall, everything could be arguably all peaceful exploration and so on. And Lego was actually really down on weapons until fairly recently, like yeah. into the Star Wars era. Yeah. You know, only the last 20 years or so. I think everything had a overall a explorey science. Explore, yes. Yeah. Kind of like Star Trek, how we come in peace. Shoot kind to of kill. Shoot to kill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the very first sets were all gray and I've got this little, I've got a little set in my hand. Yep. Try and provide some pictures of these, but of course... I didn't want to bring too many sets because I didn't want to just say, Darren, see this, Darren, see that, you know, we're making a podcast here, not video. That's right. But we can, we can describe like these three that you brought. Yeah. I, I brought just three, of the three representative sets. So this is oh, the first yeah. one I remember getting. It is a small gray kind of buggy with six wheels. It has a little kind of outhouse shaped, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a little a little box on the back with doors that swing open. Yeah, and side is a little computer screen. Yes, it's got yellow transparent windows, and on top is a rotating radar dish sort of thing. Yes, with those really small. Yeah, extremely rare. These are like, are they? <laughs> these are like gold. These little. I've got a few pieces that I brought today that are so rare and unique and they fetch just the one piece is worth 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars. Mm. One, one piece of Lego. Wow. Just because they're so rare. It has the space insignia on yes. it. Yes. The classic I, yellow planet with the red arrow going around it. Yeah. Like a little spaceship orbiting and yeah. launching off. And I just love that little logo. And that's what appears on the, on Benny. Yes. Uh, in the new Lego movies. It's really cool how that's kept around. Oh, I just got, I only just discovered Lego Movie 2 is coming out soon. Yes. And so I've seen some of the new sets that are coming out. Okay. They have a pack that's going to have Benny in it and three other classic astronauts. Like yellow and red or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. And one is going to be like this out of pink is quite the word, but this is this outrageous color. Yeah. And then two very classic looking ones. And it's only going to be like 10 bucks for the set kind oh, of yeah. thing. I feel like I'm going to buy multiples of that just to have brand new classic space astronauts. Yeah, like that's I, great. I'm so thrilled that that's going to be a thing. This particular set, uh, this little buggy, you know that every Lego set has a number to it. Yes. For some reason in the earlier days, they would often have a different number for the US release than for the worldwide release. I okay. don't know why they did that, but it happened to the Space Lego quite a bit. So this set, just for those of you who want to look this up or I'll put a link, but 
This is either the 452 Mobile Tracking Station from mm -hmm. 1979 or the 894 Tracking Station. Depending if you're looking at the U.S. or yeah, the, the US international. Yeah, the U.S. or the... That's right. And so I think this is my first Lego set ever. Uh, as we're talking about the color schemes, this one is all gray. Ah, yes. Okay, so a couple of things as I'm looking at uh, at the mobile buggy science station thing here that I'm thinking about. The wedges with the computer displays. Yeah. I imagine that's where these things started for Lego. These really fancy radar dishes on the top that are set up so that they can be gripped by the hand as well. So you can use them as a as the radar dish up there or as like a mobile like a handheld one for yep. the minifigures. Yeah. And then at the back on the little trailer that's coming behind, it's got the radar dish with the green light thing on it. It's that two by one plate that I was talking about earlier that has those two tubes coming out either side. Yeah. That's they... just like a real space Lego-y kind of thing to me. Most of the ships had like if you're building a ship, you gotta throw something like that on the front of the ship. Yeah. Thought that was cool. And I also remember thinking as a kid, oh, see how the radar dish pivots up and down on that yeah. hinge, that horizontal hinge piece. It's like, those were really cool pieces. Yes. They seem very new. I don't remember using them in other kits at the time. That That's right. This is what Space Lego really brought in all kinds of new specialty pieces that hadn't been available for Lego or for any kind of construction set before. So you got steering wheels and those oxygen tanks, at least two different kinds of hinges that rotate forward to back or left to right. So suddenly the construction style was just getting so much more advanced. Before You were going from before from houses, like simple walls made out of very literally old bricks, yep. to maybe some vehicles that had a wheel piece and maybe a windshield on it, mm -hmm. to this where you have hinges, opening compartments, all kinds of extra playability yeah. and versatility. This this Lego, I just, I know it's partly nostalgia, but my kids are very intrigued by these sets too. They don't look at them and go, oh, that old boring thing. They love to play with it too. And I'm like, be careful those those $50 pieces there. I want to ask you about minifigs too. Yeah. You were mentioning how the astronaut minifigs, as they were introduced with the Space Lego set, that kind of heralded the beginning of the Space Lego era. I remember having Lego sets, and I imagine town sets that had minifigures, but they weren't the posable minifigures. Like, I remember having like a, maybe a policeman type minifigure, black pants, black torso, head with a white hat, but... Nothing moved. It was just kind of like hips tapered down to the feet and then maybe extended for the feet. Hips tapered up to the neck and shoulders with a hint of arms on the side, but just all molded in one piece. Yeah. Was the space astronaut, was he the first real posable minifig? I, I guess I don't know for sure the answer to that, but I know that, yes, those proto minifigs yeah. that didn't have any articulation they yeah. had that was a brief window i also have a couple from that time yeah uh like yes like a policeman or one may have been like a taxi driver sure. or something yeah yeah fortunately that didn't last long also the heads were like a cylinder but instead mm -hmm. of being so bulbulous like yeah the classic minifigure they're thinner just like taller. were they just like oh, yeah. the regular yes. cylinder pieces right yeah those we've got some of those colored cylinders there yeah and that was their head yeah <laughs> Oh, and it didn't have the long neck. It just had a regular stud for a neck. 
Oh, and you can knock yeah. their head off super really easy. easily. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember before those even proto minifigs? Like I had this Lego person. Think of like a, a two by two brick. Yeah. And a head that would fit in the top. Yes. And it was slightly bigger than two by two. This yellow circle with a face painted on it, maybe some ears on it. And then the two by two brick that was kind of like the upper torso had, I think, tabs on the side. And you could put any amount of articulating arm joints down to make like these weird <laughs> octopusy type people yes, off of those. Yes. Aren't you glad that that's not the direction that Lego <laughs> decided to go for their minifigure yeah, type now, things? Those were actually contemporary. They had those larger sized people. Oh yeah. Still going because my sister got a hair salon okay. set that had these huge, what had those great big figures. Yeah. That are, I guess, you know, four or eight times the scale of a minifigure uh, with the frightening heads and the weird <laughs> yeah. clip-on hair. Yes. And that would rotate a little bit around their ears. You could yep. kind of shuffle it a bit. And yeah, those bizarre arms, which also got used in gray on the space sets. Yeah, they were like really good for like if you were making a vehicle that needed to come out of the front of a spaceship or you just needed arms on your science lab to reach out and pick up samples from the ground. Yeah, like robot arms yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it was good for those. So yeah, my sister got the salon kit that had those bizarre big figures in it. And it had these huge wall pieces. Each one was, I think, six or eight studs across yeah. by only one thick, yeah. but like six oh, really? or eight tall. And you could very rapidly, because of how huge these pieces were, sure. you could build these great big areas. But I think they, Lego thought, oh, building at this scale requires so much plastic mm. and such expensive sets that they just gave up on it. And right. They, yeah. I, I bet it was at least partly motivated by just by co keeping costs down. You know, while we're talking about gray, so these early sets are, are all gray. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that Lego has had a lot of traditional colors that some of them have lasted a very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really into Lego a little late. I think I, I got out of it peer pressure from kids at school or mm -hmm. whatever, or like make fun of me because I'd still be playing with Lego when I was 13 mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, don't do that. That wasn't me. No, I know it wasn't you. <laughs> I guess this is part of wanting to be cool or something. So yeah, I, I stopped playing around with Lego. Maybe I was also just not as interested naturally. But many people in the late 90s and early 2000s, lots mm -hmm. of adults, because of online forums, yeah. started realizing, hey, there are other people who are really into Lego, even though they're adults. Yes. The adult fan of Lego, the yeah. AFOL, yeah. <laughs> became kind of a thing. And, and these large online communities started springing up like Lugnet. Yes. And I really got into that. I I bought another set when my first kid was born in 97. Mm -hmm. So I went and bought a, a set or two. Oh, I think it's when the Star Wars set started coming out again. Was that like 99 or something? And uh, there's this cute little land speeder with like yep. with Luke and the droids. I bought that. And then I started looking online and arguably was buying some of this Lego for my kids, even though my kids were like two or three at <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah and, and I just started really getting into Lego. And from about 2001 or 2000 mm -hmm. to 2004, I was really into Lego, mm -hmm. spent a ridiculous amount of money on things, started filling up shelves full of Lego, mm -hmm. building all kinds of stuff, taking photo. I bought a good camera just to take, oh yeah, <laughs> just to take quality like macro pictures. And some of the things I was making, people were actually interested in. 
And for a little while, I think I actually was more into Lego than I was into my old computers and video games mm. for a little while. Yeah. It was right around 2004, 2005. I got the chance to start working on video games for a job. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a dream come true. Yeah. Right about that same time, I'm tying this in though, to the color gray. Yes. In 2005, Lego discontinued the traditional color gray oh. and replaced it with new gray oh and the old gray it's gray but it has a slight hint is the word saturation um mm, no it's got a blue cast to it well yeah so the old lego i found a website about this and he was saying that like there there's a pure gray that's you could right call yeah and then he said there's two percent yeah yep yellow yeah, that's right that was so, how he was describing yeah. it and so yeah, yeah i guess you're kind of right so if you want to call it saturation call it saturation yeah that's okay whatever the word we want to use it they replaced it with the new gray instead of going neutral they went blue yeah. with it. and you can tell that with your eyes right you're able to or if, if i was to look at it i would say yeah that's got yeah. a bit of a blue cast too. and they went like seven percent blue Ooh, yeah. yeah they really like overcompensated yeah that was right now admittedly i was getting busy with work and everything this was kind of my second lego phase but it was like a four or five very passionate <laughs> yeah. years of lego there them killing my old gray <sighs> you I, got mad i i didn't get i didn't get mad in that really entitled kind of way that really bugs me about yeah. my online yeah Anger but and you were everything. Disappointed. I was disappointed. Yeah, it, it was sad, and that was. I kind of felt like Lego was closing, like because of the circumstances of my life, where mm -hmm. I was going to have to put all my free time into my new video game side career, mm -hmm. while I still tried to hold my regular job. I didn't have time for any hobbies anymore. Basically, I had two jobs for a while, while I tried to move from one career into video game development. But at that same time, it felt like it was really closing out on me. All this new gray was coming out. Ah, <laughs> the new gray. New gray, yeah. So some people were calling it blay. Yes, blue is the blue, new gray. Yeah, blue, gray, yeah. blay. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a bit of trivia. It, very interesting. I, I kind of got over it. And coincidentally, Space Lego went from those very first sets were almost completely gray. Then they started introducing... The, like they started bringing spaceships in. Yeah, the spaceships start coming and they added a lot of blue yeah gray and blue and so i've got the middle set there's actually three of these spaceships they are that would be spaceship 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 <laughs> very nice this one has on the side ll924 which is also the set number this set ll924 is the middle of three ships okay that all have the same blue and gray and translucent gold kind yeah. of like beer color mm. this one really caught my imagination it has a lift up door Ooh, on the top very nice and yes. you can see in, into the cockpit and there's yeah. room for both the red and the white astronaut in there yeah. and then there on the back are the are two kind of thrusters Massive thruster things yeah. yeah and it has a hinge doors yes it has a little cargo bay in the back oh that's beautiful yeah and it's got landing gear underneath and it's got all these little, oops <laughs> it has the a cargo it has the cargo which precious has, cargo yeah, it's, it's got, got something in it cute little doors and i think it's got some of those color yeah it's got like some green kryptonite or something <laughs> in there i don't know that's something and it's got all these little details like i might have had that one myself 
Okay, yeah. Either that one or the smaller one. But I had yeah. one of those those blue spaceships from early on in the series. And I call this uh, kind of like the trinity of mm-hmm. these. There's three of them. On the front, they have a big, beautiful yeah. space logo. Yeah. Yeah, and all, all kinds of little details. Very playable. One of my, my most memorable space Lego memories is around, it would have been the early 80s. Could have been late 70s, but I'm, no, I'm pretty sure it was the early 80s. My grandfather had uh, access to a timeshare down in Tampa. And so for a couple years, we went down in the wintertime. My family went down. We spent a couple weeks there and we would do like, we would go and do Bush Gardens and Disney World and stuff like that and just hang out on the beach. Actually, it wasn't in Tampa. It was in St. Petersburg. So I think the other side. But I remember being in the condo building space Lego. Like I was given space Lego, like I showed up, grandpa had some space Lego for me and this is cool. And I think it was one of the spaceship sets. And I just remember playing with the space Lego and thinking it was so cool. I'm pretty sure that I had a smallish science set as well, maybe with those sets of arms or something like that. It's like, here I am hanging out in Florida. I've got the beach and the ocean to hang out in. (laughs) Sometimes we'd go to Disney World or one of the other parks. I'd come back. I got my space Lego to play with. I was having a pretty good time you, away from school for a couple you, weeks you there. You had it pretty good there, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I do remember not just any old Lego, but having space Lego to play with there. So there's the LL918, which is the smallest ship, and it came mm-hmm. with one astronaut. Mm-hmm. The 924 came with two. And then there's the great big one that I never got until I was a grown-up. Okay. With, with money and eBay. Yeah. I finally got myself one. Nice. Um but that included four astronauts. And That's all, outrageous. Yeah, and the ship was so big compared to anything else in its day. Yeah. And it had like a special base plate that you would land the ship on mm-hmm. and like a little tiny little station yeah. attached to it. Now, what's amazing is that set, the LL928, also called the 497, I think, in the U.S., Okay, seemed huge yeah. to us. I don't know if you remember sure. it. Oh, yeah. Do you know how many pieces it had? Probably a couple hundred. Well, this is the funny thing. 325 pieces yeah. is all it had. Yeah. And nowadays, by modern Lego standards, lots of sets you can go buy for $25. Yeah. You will get a set that is two to 300 pieces. Yeah. Well, 200. Yep. And for... Th- about forty dollars and twenty twenty eighteen dollars. Yeah. You know, about forty dollars. You can get a set that has more pieces than that one. Yeah. So the scale has changed. Back then, a huge set was three hundred twenty and expensive. By yeah. the way, oh yeah, set was three hundred twenty five pieces. Yep. Now there are sets with thousands of pieces. And of course, back in the day, like the pieces were much more standardized and generic in a certain way, right? I suppose we would get a set of Lego, space Lego as a kid, and we'd see these hinges and think, wow, those are so special, those those hinge pieces or that great radar dish you've got on that one over there that isn't solid, it's got all the spokes and stuff, and we'd think, this is such a cool, unique piece. But overall, yeah, they were, you know... 
relatively, I don't want to say large, but they were standardized pieces. They were of good size. They weren't lots of little fiddly bits or sculpted bits and stuff like that, like we have in the sets now, Yeah, which I imagine kind of helps to puff up the numbers of pieces you get in a set these days, yeah, right? It's true that there's probably more small pieces in a lot of modern sets, but even back then, they were yeah. including these tiny little one-by-one uh, -one plates of transparent red or transparent yeah. green for little yeah. lights. Some of the pieces were quite small, but I think you're right. Some people, I think incorrectly, say, oh, modern Lego, it's like there's, you can't build anything else out of it. All these one-use pieces. But you know what? If you look at anybody with imagination mm -hmm. who goes and and sets out to build something, yep. they will make really neat use. Oh, yeah. No matter how specialized the piece, they will make use of it somehow mm -hmm. in another model. And when you buy those sets with thousands of pieces, most of them are very reusable yes. pieces. Yep, that's right. It, it has changed a bit. And of course, including something like a great big base plate, mm -hmm. that piece alone sells for 10 or $20 now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So yeah, crater plates. Yes. Yeah. So the crater plate, did you own a crater plate back I in the day? I think I had a crater plate. Yeah. I don't know if I had like just the standard gray with studs all over and the crater kind of around the corner. Yes. Or I seem to recall a landing, like, you know, there's like the road plates. I had a couple road plates as well. But with Space Lego, was there like a crater plate that had like a circular landing area maybe or a staging area for rockets or something like that? Or am I just imagining something? There's definitely a landing plate, but I thought it was just gray. Okay, without a crater stud around, around it. Yeah, without the craters around the edge. Yeah. And then, yes, the crater plates would always have that L-shaped crater yes. on one corner. Yeah. That was something I never had as a kid also. Ah. Uh, I bought a lot of them. Uh, yeah. In the early 2000s, before the prices really went crazy online. Can you still buy crater plates? Like, well, only, do they still produce crater no, plates? No, no, they haven't made any for yeah. a long time now. And is that what they're called, crater plates? Yeah, that's what we call them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crater plates. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh yeah, it, there was at least one set before they invented the crater plate where you just got a gray, a large gray area. Yeah. And they gave you a bunch of like macaroni style shaped Lego pieces. Okay. And you would build a little crater yourself oh, really? out of these pieces. They would include a dozen or 16 or whatever pieces it took. Yeah, yeah. And you would, you know, it was part of the building it. Yeah. You would build your own craters. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, I just found yesterday an excellent YouTube video of a an adult collector mm -hmm. who had every classic set. Yes. I think 74 yep. sets in total. And he had them all set up at this mm -hmm. booth and he was just walking people yeah. through. And whoever had a nice steady camera yeah and zoom right in nicely on these different uh pieces and he, he showed those the one where you make your own craters okay for right on yeah yeah i remember when you suggested we do space lego i found a youtube video with a with a fellow who had maybe all or all but one of the space lego things set up at uh, some brick expo type yeah. thing and looking through them all and think oh yeah i remember this kind of thing and that kind of thing and yeah. And he had the, he had the ones towards, I think the end of the era that had 
the big black kind of saw like you've i think the next one we're going to talk about is this rocket on a massive eight-wheeled thing that that's um, right yeah but those are nice knobby tires and and i think with the green glass had like these kind of big solid less rubbery more plastic tires and yeah stuff. and and they weren't as big as this i think is the maybe one they you're were thinking. smaller yeah, yeah like they're a good size but not yeah that big no those are big so um, I just want to talk about one project I worked on in the early 2000s. Keeping in mind, the once I had acquired a 928, which is the biggest of the trinity of ships, mm-hmm. I started noticing patterns. And I noticed that from the 918 to the 924 to the 928, those three ships, there's a pattern. Uh, one thing I want to quickly mention, these thrusters, this was kind of probably a first in Lego. Oh, in- that's snot building. Yes. Studs not on top. Yeah, that's right. So they include this neat L piece that gave you a place to put your bricks in horizontally. Yeah. So the studs, rather than always being pointing up like normal, you go sideways. So that was kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. So on the very smallest of these ships, there's only one thruster on the back. Yep. This one has two, the 924 that I'm holding, and the 928 had four. Ah, so I want one, to make the two, next... four. Eight. Yes, eight is the next in sequence. So I took note of all the different progressions, um, the number of windscreens in use. This yeah. one, the first one had one. This has two, and then four windscreens also. Okay. On the uh, on the big one, so that required eight windscreens. Yeah. And uh, the number of wings and the yeah. number of stands on the bottom and everything. So I compiled this giant list of all the requirements that the next ship in the sequence would yeah. would have. And I also named it, here's the number sequence, 918 to 924 to 928. Yeah. What's the next number in that pattern? Uh, 20, every 30. Yes. Yeah. Hey, very, you're quick. Thanks. Yeah. So LL930 yeah. is what I called it. And I built it. I'll, I'll share some pictures online. Yeah. And, and that was pretty popular online too. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was just a really fun project. And I, I got to explain why I did everything the way I did it. Yeah. Because when you're doing something so subjective, like what if Lego had made an even bigger set? Yeah. It's very subjective, but at least I could point to these patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly the kind of nerdy thing that I was into. Right. Oh, okay. On. So the last one I brought today is I think my favorite Lego set ever. It's looking pretty cool. And this is set number 6950, the mobile rocket launcher. Oh, yeah. Although, Bruce Coburn, where are you tonight? Yeah. <laughs> if I had a rocket launcher. Yeah. Robin's got one. I've got one. Um, strangely, I think that might be the American name. I was having a hard time finding this, but I seem to remember my original box saying satellite launcher. Ah. It's almost like for the American market. Yeah, yeah, they can launch rockets. They launch rockets, but the rest of the world, they peacefully launch satellites. That's right. You never know what could be in those American rockets. <laughs> Even if I'm wrong about that, feel free to correct me, but it's it's still a funny, it's still a funny idea. So things I love about this. I, now this, this mobile rocket transport, mm-hmm. maybe that's the other name. Yeah, mobile rocket transport. It included yellow astronauts. Ah, yeah. Rather than the red or white ones. And it had all kinds of neat features. Like it's it's a ground-based vehicle. It has eight great big tires. And each wheel on it, the back set of wheels can turn left or right. And then each one has 
a um, oh yeah it's it's got like, like a, a seesaw yeah <laughs> a, a point in the middle where two wheels anyway basically you've got you could drive a, over all sorts of crater plates with that thing it's super off road and it actually works really well yeah and you can park it wherever you like it's got a little <laughs> you can park <laughs> man if you're driving that you thing drive... you could park it wherever you want. <laughs> You park it on the uh, mobile science trailer over there. That's right, you just don't go like it. Park it on top of a bunch of <laughs> on top of those astronauts, and then once once you park, it's got this whole arm that raises up, and it's got carrying around this rocket, great big rocket payload. Yeah. Ooh, it's got the double thing, so it can yeah. reach all the way to the back. Yeah, and it's got this like basically this big claw that has this cool radar dish on top of it, and, and it opens it unclamps. up, clamps unclamps and then you can drive away and there it is ready for liftoff that's right put that satellite in orbit <laughs> yeah there's the peacefully <laughs> very peacefully it was just such a cool thing to have this off-road vehicle that had this separate pieces i thought it was fantastic it's got this uh cool cockpit up at the front there mm-hmm. and it's got I like the little ladders down the side. Yeah, it's got little ladders, and it's got these steering wheels that are like pressure valves or whatever, oh, yeah, I yeah, guess. Of course, eh? that's what they are. And it's got this super rare piece, this inverted transparent yellow Ooh, piece. Yes. So uh, the, the driver of it can actually look down. They have like a glass. They're sitting in a glass, glass cockpit. Floor. Yeah, glass yeah. floor to look where, where they're going. Oh, yep. There's the mobile space command post that I'm <laughs> driving over with my eight-wheel drive. <laughs> fully articulated <laughs> that's right <laughs> don't worry it's just a satellite launch yeah i'm just here to launch some satellites <laughs> out of my way that's right <laughs> or or else <laughs> launch my satellite right at you yeah what's on the side of the of the rocket there um the second black thing on the way up are those ladders there as well these right here yeah yeah yeah, just little, I guess they're just ladders. They just yeah. look cool. Oh, yeah, they look very cool. Oh, and apparently these yellow up at the top of the end of the rocket, like mm-hmm. if this is the little satellite, yeah. it's got these two little yellow folding arms. Yeah, those are the... Uh... Apparently that's the only time that yellow piece was ever made oh. was for this set. Really? Yeah. And in the middle of each of these wheels is a black Technic, that four-prong mm-hmm. piece that fits inside. Yep. With the round part that goes into a round side, what do you call it? I want to call it a side hole. I'm, I'm lacking language. <laughs> One of those side holes, you know? Yep. This may be the only set that ever came in black. Uh-huh. So when you buy these used, a lot of the time people will sneak a gray one and they've lost some of the black ones. Yeah, yeah. And you end up with gray. Right. Yeah. And so you see mine is, I believe, 100% black, all black. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, it is. Something that I really liked that came in some of the space Lego sets, like I like the side thrusters, like well, you've got the gigantic back thrusters on the, on the nine eighteen nine twenty four the 924 there, yeah. um, on the, on the rocket to launch the satellite that yeah. you've got there down at the bottom, those there's little, those four little thrusters, yeah. the black ones. Um, now sometimes there would be the gray ones and they were nice and smooth. But are these those ridged black ones? Yeah, they got the... Yeah, those are so cool. Yeah. They're ridged all the way around. (laughs) They sure are. Yeah, this is great. Before this era of space Lego, you were talking about um, there were some Lego sets that did have a space theme to them. Was there like a a good-sized 
rocket, like maybe a USA rocket. Yeah. Is that one of the ones? Yeah, I think there was a rocket and there was also this moon landing one. Oh yeah. And the moon landing one had an attempt at making minifigure type characters out of regular bricks. Oh really? So they made some little astronauts. Uh, one of the guys on Twitter today posted a picture of that one, how he or his brother had gotten that one uh, bef- before cool. the classic space came out. So I think that's it, Darren, for my, for Space Lego. Okay, one last question for you then. Of the three sets that you brought over today, are any of these the original ones from your childhood? I'm basically certain that that gray one, the little science lab one there, is for sure from my childhood. Yep. And I'm not sure what bricks belong to what. Okay. But I never did lose, like, all three of these today... I still have the original or at least most of the pieces. From when you were a kid. From when I was a kid. Yeah. But um, while I was buying Lego. <laughs> Things during, get mixed up. On the early, yeah, some stuff got mixed up. So I'm not sure. But we, we can say probably these are all mine from, yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, I love love this stuff. And I, I overall, I keep pretty good care of almost you do. my stuff. Yeah. yeah. Robin, Robin keeps everything and keeps it well. And I am in some ways the opposite. I don't think that I, I keep things poorly. I just don't keep a lot of stuff. Yeah. And for the most part, I don't regret not having stuff as yeah. much stuff. Um, it's always nice that Robin does have the stuff. So <laughs> it's easy to go, Oh, I want to go do relive some of my childhood. I, I can always go over to Robin's house and do that. So that's one of the reasons I keep you around as a friend. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. handy. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a reason why I keep you then. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of any good reason to keep me around as a friend. You're, you're usually fun to talk to. So oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice collection, Robin. I'm yeah. glad that you chose space lego i'm not sure why i think i was kind of reluctant like i thought it was a great idea when i first chose it Mm -hmm. and then when we had chances to record it i was kind of reluctant for some reason and i was thinking it's because it's such a something that you you look at and you feel so you know so much more than other things but really i mean video games are like that that's right most of what we talk about is things you have to really look at yeah oh yeah and you know what pod i think folks that listen to podcasts folks that are into podcasts they've got that kind of brain or they've got into that space where they're going out for a walk or they're going for a run or whatever they're going to do. And they listen to podcasts during that. And they know that they are going to listen to people talking about things and they're going to use their brain to remember these things or to visualize them. And, And hopefully we do a good job of, of describing what we're looking at and, and of talking about our memories with them, that it makes it interesting for other folks to listen to as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you, Darren. And, and it was a bit of a relief to me. I couldn't remember what you, what your experiences with space Lego were. So. Yeah. I, I had that one really prominent one. I just remember the, like on the back of the, what is it? Is that the 214 or the 224 there? The 924 The here? 924 there. Yeah. Those blue fins on the back, like, yeah. and, and the gray ones on the side there, those fins. Yes. Like, I, I know I had tons of those fins and that, those were always so important when building, not the, what the instructions said to build, but yeah. you know, they're so important for building any sort of spaceship and stuff that you had afterwards. And yeah. yeah. Well, 
one one thing I meant I want to say is when you yeah when you buy these models you know they they give you instructions how to build the thing on the box mm-hmm. but then some people just want to build that and then put it on a shelf and that that's yep. totally fine and do you think that's more like the adult fans of Lego are into that well even my, some of my kids are like that they yeah. don't want to mess with it and other ones are totally happy to tear it apart and rebuild it so. Yeah. I think it's more a personality thing than an age thing. Sure. Although maybe more adult fans of Lego are a certain personality that is more prone to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to point out that a lot of those old boxes would have all kinds of cool other things going on. Like on the front of the box would be the model. Yeah. And the instructions would be in there for building what's on the front. Yeah. But on the back side would be those same bricks being reused sometimes in a kind of a meta way where the astronauts themselves, the, the minifig astronauts yeah. appear to be rebuilding yes. yeah. their very own items. Yeah. And that, that was kind of a playfulness that now, of course, with the Lego video games and movie mm-hmm. uh, and movies. Part of that, that is the characters rebuilding things. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really cool to think that even back in the late 70s and early 80s, that idea that Lego people are aware yes. that everything- That maybe, they're in a modular building it, system. Including themselves, maybe. <laughs> I would think that, I wonder if that ever made onto the cover of a box where like one minifigure <laughs> is pulling apart another. <laughs> I'll just take your head. Yikes. Uh, yeah, th- this idea that an, an astronaut could be stuck, like his spaceship has crashed. Mm-hmm. And for whatever so he's reason. he's going to build a habitat yeah, he'll, from he'll, those pieces. And yeah. he'll be okay. Yeah, he'll be okay till he gets rescued. Yeah. Like, what a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention that, how those those photos on the box were often very imaginative and fun and prompted us to build new things from our, our Lego. Yep. Okay. Right on. Thank you for talking about Lego. So for the second half of this episode, Darren and I, continuing with the space theme. Yes. Have chosen each three of our favorite space or computer type arcade whatever any kind of video game about space set in space yeah. maybe it was just with space in the name i don't know <laughs> okay interesting <laughs> yeah and this is just tying in with the space lego idea yeah and space was always a you know <laughs> apparently space was always around uh, apparently it was always around us even <laughs> if we didn't know it darren <laughs> here we are on this earth hurtling through space and we don't we don't know it until we're told it, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then when we're told it, we're like, oh, oh. There's, we're just one world and there's all this nothingness. And then there's all these other, these celestial bodies. There's a fascinating idea. And I think our childhood was full with NASA. Yeah. Space shuttles. Oh, yeah. you know, one of the things that I probably did, I don't know if it was when I was at grandpa's timeshare thing down in St. Petersburg, but we went to Cape Canaveral. To see like all the space shuttle type stuff there. I never got to see a space shuttle launch. No, neither did I. But uh, yeah, but, that was all you... part of the thing. Like as little kids, like that, the space shuttle program was going on. Yeah. We were playing with our space Lego. We yeah. were watching rockets blasting off. We were doing all this stuff. Space was just one of those things that we played around. And so obviously when we were playing our video games. 
We yeah. were playing space video games too. Yeah, and it was a very common theme. Like basically, it seemed to me there were only two threads of video games in the early days where either it was about surreal things like uh the pac-man the frogger okay, yeah yeah the sure Pac-Man. i guess i'm, I'm saying there, there were kind of like i'm sure there were more than this but it seemed to me almost all the games were either they were either space or not space yeah they're either space <laughs> it's kind of like half of them were space and then half of them were other cute characters yeah that were kind of surreal yeah or okay, something sure sure i know that's not totally they're driving games yeah, lots sports of driving games, games and, yeah. or whatever well actually i did like the driving games but the sports games i rarely cared about but the space games you could do anything you could be anywhere you could have whatever kind of technology you needed any sort of thing that you needed to make up to make the game to give it some credibility you could do with space yeah what what is this strange thing that's happening oh don't worry it's in space <laughs> yeah but what is a strange vehicle that you're doing and and the strange power that no no it's technology in space it's all legitimate you can yeah. do that in space <laughs> that's right so space video games just let you do what let the programmer do whatever he needed to do to make a fun game yeah set it in space yeah you're set yeah you're right there's all kinds of freedom in and that's right with science fiction the novels and the tv shows yep. of the day I think that is part of the appeal that not only is it a convenient reason to have new worlds to explore. Yeah. yeah and that's right. It frees the author. Just do whatever they want to do. Do whatever you want to do and whatever you need to do. And it's space. Yeah. So would you like me to go first? Yeah. Why don't you? So we've each picked, we've each chosen three of our favorite space related video games yeah, from the 80s that's right and i don't know well i think i know one of darren's accidentally but we mostly don't know each other's yes lists. Yeah. yeah and i you told me what yours were but i already forget yeah, yours. i already forgot and i already <laughs> and i've already forgotten if i if i didn't have it on my phone here i would have forgotten mine too <laughs> all right i think i'm gonna pick a safe maybe even kind of boring one to start with but it was a it was a fun game I played it a bunch on the Commodore 64. It was a ripoff of an arcade game that uh, I remember playing, but it was the arcade game just seemed really tough. It was 1985's Crazy Comets. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy Comets. Crazy Comets. In the arcade, there was this game called Mad Planets. Now, Mad Planets... You kind of think of it like asteroids where you had this wedge-shaped ship that you could spin in, in whatever direction you needed and firing at these celestial bodies, not asteroids in this case, but planets that were, planets, yeah. that were bouncing around coming at you. So it was kind of asteroids-y, but in addition to spinning around, you didn't thrust. You actually controlled with the joystick. You moved yourself around the screen and, and the planets didn't just keep going in the same direction. They kind of swarmed after you. And there was cool things like comets going around and, and weird things happened when you blew up the planets. Crazy Comets took that idea and instead of doing kind of the asteroids thing with it, they kind of did the space invaders thing with it because you're always pointing in one direction. You're always kind of facing up the screen. Yeah. Except every once in a while, like I I've played this, I thought we were playing this on the C64 mini recently. Did we actually play it? Or is that like mega apocalypse or something? That's yet another yeah. crazy comets. I think so. Again. Yeah. Okay. And it seems to me every once in a while you can change your direction if you like, I don't know if it's you hold the fire button. That's 
on the Commodore 64 and the Atari 2600, mm-hmm. one big problem, even the Amiga, it's, it seems unforgivable the Amiga would have this problem, but that you had one button joysticks. Yeah. And there's so many more things, even just having two buttons opens up so many possibilities yeah. for gameplay. Yeah. That was kind of a problem with this kind of game where you got eight directional movement and you got fire button mm-hmm. to shoot. Yep. How do you rotate the thing too? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so, we don't we'll have to sidetrack so much on that. Yeah. So you weren't able to do that in in Crazy Comet. So it, that's okay. why I was kind of thinking of it more of a Space yeah. Invader Z type take on on the Mad Planets thing, but uh, it ripped off so many things that were so cool. Is it fair to say they ripped it off? It was an homage it, it, to it borrowed from. Yeah. Yeah. It even borrowed kind of like the title screen, even the way that <laughs> that, that kind of came down in the lettering. They borrowed and, the font and they <laughs> yeah, borrowed exactly. the Yeah. <laughs> um but like it had the cool comets that would come on and, and swoop in and around and and they had this really cool physics to the to the comets and stuff around. Like they just, just bop up and bop down. They kind of had this nice little sweeping arc sometimes as they came yeah, through. Yeah, like they're using like sine and cosine mm-hmm. waves or something or or they're simulating gravity a little more accurately something yeah yeah, yeah there's something yeah it on. almost seemed like they were like somehow like looping around the planets maybe or yeah. something like that but because the planets were moving you know as the center of gravity moved i don't know things just it, it flowed really well there's a nice flow to the game Maybe one of the the coolest things about it, besides all the action and stuff that on on the screen, was Rob Hubbard's soundtrack to it. If you were to to go to any website probably and ask for a list of like the top ten Commodore sixty four songs from video games, guaranteed that the Crazy Comet song would probably be in the top ten. <laughs> such a cool song yes i think i found all those games just a little too frustrating or something there was something that didn't hook me in i mean it's totally cool that you like it yeah yeah Um, no i totally found it difficult too and at the same time that i found it difficult it was pretty samey now a game like space invaders or asteroids which is very samey in some ways seemed a little bit more forgivable than crazy comets did because crazy comets was doing so many cool things it seemed a shame that you're just kind of sitting there at the bottom of the screen just shooting up at the all this cool stuff that was happening around you the starfield do you remember the starfield in crazy comets yeah it's wild yeah, yeah. It, it would like do these weird spirally type things and then it would be like zooming out like you were just diving into the screen yeah. and the explosions and things would happen like stop and weird things would happen with the starfield during explosions it was doing so many things really neat graphically yeah, and musically. It seemed a little bit tame on the gameplay. Yeah. Nevertheless, it's it pretty still, remarkable. Yeah. It's still like a, a favorite of yours, a good, good memories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The soundtrack and the visuals, it was all so intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just never, the actual gameplay, I didn't feel compelled. I think like even after game over, you could still watch the cool Starfield and listen to the cool music just on the title screen and oh, not yeah. and not experience the stress of actually <laughs> of actually playing you know it. This is a little bit more relaxing and I'm getting to experience <laughs> all the really cool stuff in this game. 
I looked up um, Zap sixty four. They gave it an eighty four percent overall. So they were yeah. they were pretty pleased with the game, and and they also thought that yeah, it was it got pretty samey after okay. a while, but still it was it was a pretty cool game. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> My first game is kind of lame. Remember how I I like I think I shocked isn't the right word. What, what were we talking about where, like I said, Pong, and you're like, get out, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, like you yeah, had Pong. Best uh, best game ever or something. Pong. No, no, games that amazed us. Yeah, games that amazed you. You you chose Pong. <laughs> it's like, Pong. really? That amazed you? <laughs> and and I, I get where you're yeah. coming from once you explained it, sure. At that time, yeah. it really did amaze me. Yep. And I'm still happy to play a bit of Pong against another person. Yeah. Okay, so what's the next least uh, exciting game after Pong nowadays, right? Well, well I, I have a feeling that I yeah. know, that I now remember what you're going to pick. Yeah. And if it's the one that I'm thinking of, I played a bunch of it this afternoon. Oh, yeah? Uh, and uh, I was really enjoying it. Okay, Space Invaders? Is yeah. That yeah, yeah. I totally got into it, but you're right. It's like Space Invaders. Yeah, like of all the games that I could play, I'm not going to run to Space Invaders for my shoot 'em up fix. Yeah. But I played this afternoon and I totally got into it. Yeah, it, it is still such a, a satisfying game to play, to sit. Now, were you playing the arcade, like on your cocktail cabinet? Yeah, there? I, yeah. I was playing on my arcade machine there. Yeah, that, that's that's great. So I've got four versions of Space Invaders I love, but we'll talk about them quick. Okay. The arcade version, which you were just playing, yeah, uh, at the Midwest Gaming Classic, almost every year somebody brings their authentic nice. Space Invaders arcade, yeah, and I have a great game or two of that where you're just playing with a left and right button, yes, and a single fire button, but the screen and like the little cover overlay over the black and white graphics, yeah, it's not really this version doesn't have a color overlay as okay. such. Well. Let me think. Is that funny? It still is very monochrome. Yeah. I know there was Super Space Invaders that had like this kind of rainbow display to yeah. fake other colors. And, okay. Well, did it fake it? I guess I'll have to look that up. I like the steady pace of it, mm -hmm. Well, which does accelerate as yep. you get towards the end of each level. But just that timing, one shot at a time, thinking yep. about every shot, looking at those great big call, like these huge columns of invaders yep. coming. And just working your way through it. Yes. Yeah. I find that very satisfying. Dodging, mm -hmm. going under the little turrets or the little protection, whatever yeah. you want to call it, the your blockades. Shields or whatever, shields, yeah. And edging out, taking a shot, yeah. back in again. Well, and that's what I got into this afternoon. Like, I'd never really given Space Invaders more than one go at a time in the past. Just because usually if Space Invaders is around... There are lots of other things around to try as well. So I'm not going to spend my time on on old, boring space invaders. Yeah. But even just giving it an hour today, this was actually a really well-designed game. Yeah. Like when you, like you're kind of alluding to it, I think that there's much more of a, like I watch my boys play and they just going back and forth, shooting at things. You can get into like, I don't want to make it sound as strategic as chess or anything like that, but almost like a Tetris like state yeah. when you're playing the game. Like there's a, there's enough going on that it, that it can be a little bit overwhelming, but not so much that when you get into the zone, you can get just about everything into your headspace and you can know what you need to do, or at least feel like, yeah. you know what you need to do. I just got to do this. I'm going to take out this column, get a couple from the bottom row just to keep yeah. things going. Like you were saying, just edge out a little bit, take the shot, move back, take the shots. I can get these. I'm going to go over to this side, take this guy's out while I'm waiting for this row to make it past yeah. the, the shield. I'll just 
duck over here and take a few guys out on the bottom. Even the way that they designed the aliens, they've got thicker, wider guys on the bottom and skinnier guys on the yeah. top. I'd never noticed that until today. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's got to be a deliberate choice because the bottom ones are a little bit easier to hit. And then as you go up to the top of the screen, they're getting smaller. It's it's pretty brilliant yeah, design. It is. It's really good design. I'm really glad that, that you did that, you know, that, that you experienced all those things because that's because that's what I was going to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's good. It's good. So uh, Space Invaders Arcade, I love. Atari 2600 Space Invaders. Great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I now, probably played the most, the most Space Invaders I played was probably 2600 Space Invaders. Yeah. Was like, that a pack-in game? No. Well, you know It what? might have been a pack-in game for some people. It might have been for some, some people. Of course, yeah. Combat's the original oh, pack-in yeah, game. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But I think it's totally likely that they had alternate I guess we'd find out. Yeah, or maybe it was like one of the Christmas of 1980 or something. Yes. They came out with Space Invaders and everybody had to have Space Invaders that year. Yeah. And because it seemed like everybody did have Space Invaders yes. for the 2600. There's a lot less Space Invaders to shoot per mm -hmm. level on it. But considering the Atari 2600's limitations, they did a really good job with yeah. that. And they had different alien designs, but yes. still very compelling. Very, like... Sometimes when I think of Space Invaders, my mind, actually, when I think of the Space Invaders design, my mind goes to the 2600 Space Invaders before it goes to the arcade ones. Yeah. yeah. And it had a neat variation where you could do two players at once. Well, actually, it had, so cool. had lots of neat variations, yep. but two players at once was, was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. This cooperative mode. And if you feel like a more fast-paced game of Space Invaders, there's an Easter egg or a cheat mode oh, yeah. built into Space Invaders. A lot of people don't know this. Even people who have spent a lot of time with Atari 2600. Tell me. Turn off your Atari 2600. Yeah. With Space Invaders, you know, put Space Invaders in with it turned off. Then hold down the reset switch. Yeah. While you power on. Yeah. Start a game. You will be able to shoot two, two. bullets. Really? Simultaneously. Well, not, yeah. Like you can have two shots on screen at once. Right on. And you can just plow through those invaders. <laughs> just mow them down. Yeah, just mow them down. And it is really fun. And and the game eventually gets difficult enough that, you know, like it's it's not like you can totally destroy the game. Yeah. But it's extremely fun for yeah. the first little while. Yeah. Just to, after all that patient one shot at a time business, yeah. having two shots at once. Tell me if I am misremembering this, but I seem to recall one of the variants on the 2600 being the two-player where you can't pass through each other. That's possible. And like you could just kind of like edge over to your buddy's <laughs> side of the him. screen and trap him in there. <laughs> I don't know if that's a mismemory that I'm having oh, or just something cool. I, I just, I can picture hanging out at my buddy John's place. He had uh, a 2600 with Space Invaders, and that was one of the games that we would often play there. And I seem to recall like this not quite cooperative mode that we would sometimes <laughs> get into. Not very cooperative mode, yeah. yeah. Uh, early Atari games had so many variations, and you would just toggle through them. Yep. And, yeah, like Invisible Space Invaders. Yeah, and, and moving shields and yeah, stuff that the shields yeah. would move on you. Where they would go invisible, or there would be no shields, or oh, there's a whole bunch of variations, and a lot of people forget that the Atari 2600 has these, these difficulty switches, mm -hmm. which is one more variation. Yes, and on Space Invaders, it makes your turret, your cannon, mm -hmm. 
wide or not wide. Yeah. And so <laughs> you can play the Robin version or the Darren version. Don't include that. Oh, more more fat jokes. I'm oh, sorry. Poor Don't me. do that. It's okay. That was a pretty good one. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you can choose it per player. Yeah, that's as right. a handicap, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and continuing on, my third. Your third favorite Space Invaders. Yeah, is the Commodore Pet version. Oh, of course. Have we talked about that on the show before? I don't think we have. To me, that it is so good for the pet. Like the pet did not have programmable yeah. graphics. It had the built-in Petski character set, which had some little shapes in it. Yeah. But you cannot redefine any graphics mm -hmm. Yeah, on it. They are blocky and everything, but they are fantastically animated it's also smooth at that time it felt like the arcade game except it was on a pet in 1979 or 1980 yeah in our grade two classroom yeah. or something like that and, and and it's almost like a wizard had stepped out of time and made this game because all the other pet games we were playing were programmed in basic yeah and they were slow yeah. and you waited forever for your turn and then you had to do math yeah <laughs> Well, even the fun games like uh, Dungeon or yeah. Miner, there were a lot or of- Lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> they were all just very slow paced yeah. because they're programmed in basic. But this Space Invaders, I don't even know if we know who the author is because they were almost like too good. Mm. Like in that same way that Beatles music in the 60s- Yeah, was out of time and space. It felt like yeah. some of this is too new and visionary yeah. and everything. Yeah. Impossible, <laughs> magical. Yeah, it's almost like, what is this? You know, this is just too good. And that Space Invaders wasn't even licensed. As far as we know, nobody sure. was ever paid to make that. Yeah. It was just this free thing some wizard made and dropped off. And everybody played it and yep. it ruined pet keyboards the world <laughs> over. Yes. <laughs> so our friend uh, Ian yeah. uh, had a, a pet at home very early, two, three, four years before any of us got computers. Mm -hmm. He had a pet at home. We would go over and play Space Invaders. And being the stupid kids we were, you had to use the A button to fire over on the right, you use the four and six snap keys mm -hmm. on the numeric keypad to move left or right. And you press A to fire. And we would pound that A key <laughs> as if that would somehow make it shoot faster. Sure. Right? I don't think we got the idea that you're supposed to like time your shots. Yeah. We're just, just like shoot, mash, shoot, mash, shoot, mash, yeah. mash, mash. And I remember his mother standing there, us pounding on this thousand plus dollar computer that they had bought yeah. that she probably wasn't all that happy about the money being spent on in the first place. She was, I can still remember her saying, do you have to hit it that hard? <laughs> and I think we turned to like all honesty. Yeah. <laughs> and then went right back to pounding the poor computer. You know, wear out that A key. <laughs> we wore out the A key. Final version. I can't, I can't remember. I said there's three. Yeah. Here's four. It's I, a I, bonus version. I thought I said four. Okay. I guess we'll have to rewind if I, and the last one is a shout out to the Vic 20 version. Oh, yeah. Which was totally unofficial. Yeah. Called Avenger. Yeah. And it is just really good and addictive for such an, again, for an early implementation. Yeah. 
uh, probably 1981, expertly programmed and just so fun. I got addicted to it just earlier this year. Yeah, eh? I was playing tons of VIC-20 Avenger guys. I, I yep. kind of <laughs> super high quality version, better than the C64 version, bizarrely. Yeah, eh? even though it has no right to be. Huh. Yeah. When um when we were in university, I don't know if we if I'd already fallen a little bit behind you by this point. Uh, we had a class where we were programming. I think in 8086 assembly. Oh yeah. Did you have to program Space Invaders? No. Or we, was that like an optional, like, was that a, a pick something to program and I happened to choose Space Invaders to do? We had to program a game, right. in quotes. Yeah. And Dr. Hasegawa, yeah. uh, he said, it doesn't actually have to be a game, like a fun game. Yeah. But it must involve an object moving under keyboard control. Yes. And something else happening on screen and it had to generate some sounds yes and his main goal was that to get you thinking of doing things step by step yeah. frame by frame yeah creating animation in assembly language 8086 yeah. yeah yeah and so is that what you did as space invaders i began doing space invaders yeah and i think i ended up with space invader <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the space invader. Yeah, there he is. See if you can shoot him. So yeah, you had, there was your, yeah, it was you had you, your turret that you went back and forth. Yeah. You could shoot and there was a thing to shoot. <laughs> there was one thing to shoot. And our friend Ron made a scrolling, kind of like a, a scramble, like a scramble kind yeah. of game, a yeah. side scrolling shooter. And that was ambitious and he did it well. Mm -hmm. And my idea was to kind of clone this game. I think it's called Monsters or I think it's included with QBasic. There was this game where you're like a little asterisk or whatever. Screen full of boxes, a little like Pango. Yeah. Where you can push boxes. Yeah, yeah. And you had to surround these objects. So mine, Ron's was really flashy because of the scrolling. Hey, yep. Ron, if you're listening, mine was only a single screen. So I felt a little, uh, what inferior doing that, but actually it was, it was really difficult because you could push one block and then that pushed another block yeah. and that pushed another block. Sure. And then the monsters had to have a bit of a pathfinding AI yep. to come after you. And so you're trying to build these little walls to catch them in and close them in and then they would die. Ron was just scrolling a cave. He was just scrolling that. <laughs> no, no. Yours was good too, Ron. Space Invader. Maybe yours was better. I'm just uh, explaining that. Boy, that was a lot of work. That was that was really difficult. Yeah. But 8086, what an easy language. <sighs> like compared to the 6502 and the Commodore 64 mm. that we were programming. Mm-hmm. Three eight bit variable like A X and Y. Thank you very registers. much. Yeah, the eighty eighty six. You got sixteen bit registers, <sighs> and you got like four of them. Yeah, it had like a multiply built in. Oh, it's fantastic. And the sixty five hundred two had none of those things. So, but we digress. We are really digressing. Space invaders. Eight bit show and tell is where I'm going to keep that kind of talk. Okay, now my, back to you. My Aaron. number two choice. Yes, number two. Moving on. Now, you were just talking about Ron's uh, kind of scramble clone. Yeah. My number two for the ColecoVision yeah. from 1982, Cosmic Avenger. I oh. loved playing me some Cosmic, Cosmic Avenger. Avenger. So Cosmic Avenger was a horizontal scroller. Yeah. Very much like a scramble type game as well, where you've got uh, 
um, kind of like this mountainous train with city and towers and little little shooty things on the ground. You can fly your ship horizontally. You can go a little bit forward and a little bit back and up and down, but the screen is going to scroll on you anyway. You've got bombs and 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 like shooting a forward, forward shooting laser yeah. and bombs falling down to the ground. Yeah. So yeah, very much like scramble. Yeah, and yeah. it uh, it had like three different stages. It had like the city stage that you would go through first and there'd be like the rockets and stuff shooting up just like in Scramblewood. And then you would get to this open plain area. It was kind of like the tank area. And so it's pretty flat, but like a little hill would pop up and down every once in a while and there'd be these tanks. And so you just kind of go down and you shoot at the tanks and the tanks would be lobbing stuff at you as well. And all the, all the while there'd be this UFO thing. It was kind of like a, like it looked like Darth Vader's TIE fighter. It had like the, not the straight wings, but the angled wings and stuff going around shooting at you. And then there was the underwater level. Now in the, apparently there was, I don't ever remember playing it in the arcade, but I looked at a video of it from the arcade version. The arcade version was very realistic in that the water had like a horizontal surface on the ColecoVision. There must've been some <laughs> sort of force field holding the sea in because you would just fly into this cave full of water <laughs> and there'd be submarines that would track with you and, and shoot at you as well in this. And so like there's to be these three stages and they would go over and over again. Yeah. But I remember playing lots of cosmic adventure. I think that Ahleus had Cosmic Avenger at his oh. place too, and I remember playing it there. Yeah, it was just a really colorful, fun side scroller. I think it kind of borrowed some elements from Defender, like it had a radar at the top of the screen. Oh yeah. Um, it didn't show all the enemies or the or the targets that were coming, but this the UFO that would come and get you every once in a while. If it wasn't on screen, you might be able to see it in the radar coming off the right side of the screen, coming through the radar. You knew that it was coming along to get you and stuff like that. Yeah. Lots and lots of fun. Lots and lots of colors. Lots of things going on 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 the screen. It wasn't so difficult that like i remember some games i would just have so much trouble with them you know they'd be frustrating and you wouldn't play this wasn't a frustrating game it it, it was maybe a little bit soft or or just kind of kept you happy because it was a home game you know you already paid the money for it yeah. might as well let the kids have fun playing with it <laughs> but yeah like i remember you know you'd get through the city part of it and then you'd go and you'd try blowing up the tanks for a little while and then you'd be underwater and yeah you'd make it out and you'd you'd loop around again and do that and i could loop around and it was like oh yeah i'm i'm all right at this game and i'm enjoying it having some fun yeah with cosmic avenger Avenger, yeah i think i have that cartridge but whether i've ever played it like i, I have ColecoVision. Mm-hmm. yeah and basically certain i have cosmic avenger in my yeah. collection but i don't think i've ever given it yeah it's any time, very so. similar to scramble i think yeah. scramble and cosmic avenger came out in the same year it was made yeah. by Universal, the guys that okay. made Mr. Do and uh, other fun games, I think Carnival and, and, and such. Um, apparently it didn't do that great in yeah. the arcade, but because it was one of the launch titles for the ColecoVision, a lot of people picked it up and, and it was just a fun game to play. Like They did a good job of it and, and it was uh, really popular on the ColecoVision apparently. I, yeah. Again, I looked up to see what folks thought about it and Arcade Express gave it a 9 out of 10. Woo! So top marks, well, almost top marks. Yeah. 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 I know in Scramble, it's really satisfying when there's a few moments where you can get right down to the ground. Yes. And, and just shoot, ahead, shoot ground-based targets forward. Yes. 
Yeah. That's fun. That so is if, a lot of fun. If Cosmic Avenger also has that. Uh, definitely moment. on the tank level, yeah. you get down low and you, and you do that. And yeah, lots Just of fun. Plow through them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was hoping that uh, I had access to Cosmic Avenger on the arcade over there. And I didn't. So we ended up playing a little bit of Scramble this afternoon too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got Scramble on that one. Yeah. yeah. ColecoVision. Yeah. That's where it was at for I, about a year, I think, for me. Yeah, that's so. right. And it was only at your place or, at, like you said, at Ahlea's had it as well, yeah. And yeah. he had the super action joystick. Yes. I didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I just saw at the Salvation Army thrift shop. Yeah. They had a ColecoVision for auction. I don't know if the auction ended yet. Yeah, like you a mentioned silent that auction. the other day. They had two super action controllers Ooh. in there right now. That was yeah. pretty neat to see. But they're asking a lot for it. Or well, it's this silent auction. It just seems like such a hassle to yeah. You gotta like go ask them. So my second game, I'm doing them chronologically today. Okay. On the C64. Yeah. It's got some good title screen music and no music in the game. What could it be? Thrust. Ah, thrust. Thrust. Thrust is a game that I enjoyed playing well past. It's prime, I think. Yeah. Apparently it's based on an arcade game called Gravatar. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever play that Gravatar? I don't know that I ever played it, but I yeah. am familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like if you take uh, Thrust, at least. Yeah. Gra- Gravatar does seem similar. It's it's a more expansive game. I think yes. Thrust kind of took a simpler approach to it. Mm-hmm. But Thrust is basically Asteroids plus jupiter lander mm-hmm. in one game yeah kind that, of that's a way of thing i mean yeah. that, that doesn't say everything about yeah. it but that's it's, the it's way it's got that that gravity thing that jupiter lander has that yeah. you're overcoming but instead of just up and down and left and right like working the four cardinal directions yeah you've got the rotational aspect of asteroids yeah it's you've got an asteroids type ship and it thrusts just like that, but there's gravity always pulling it one way. Yeah. So it's kind of impra- it's an impractical ship. Actually, you can fly a lot like Jupiter Lander if you're always pointing up. The first level... You don't have side thrusters and thrust, though, do you? No, you don't. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of goofy thing that's yeah. like, you're just using your single asteroid-style yeah. thrust, but you need to go different directions. Right. Yeah. And you're always getting pulled down. There's only six levels, and the first one just is like a planet surface... And then the later ones have deeper and deeper series of caves yeah. that you have to go through. And there's these turrets that are trying to shoot you. Mm-hmm. And on later levels, there are doors that you have to shoot to open. Yep. You have limited fuel. So you have to uh, You have resupply. to tractor beam the fuel into Yeah, your... that's right. And this is one of the very few action games on the 64 that you play with keyboard. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it has joystick support. But even if it does, you got your rotate left and right. You've got fire and thrust and your tractor beam. Yep. So that's like three. I suppose you could map those to the joystick, but that does not sound like fun to me. Anyway, I played it on keyboard. Is the tractor beam also the shield? Is there shield and thrust yeah. as well? You yeah. You do have a shield that's also the tractor beam for collecting fuel. And at the bottom of every level is this pod kind of yeah. thing that you have to rescue. And so... Your ship is hard, you know, regular asteroids with gravity. <laughs> <laughs> through uh, a cave. Through a cave. It's already kind of tricky. At you. yeah. But then when you get to the bottom, you grab the pod and you tractor it, and it goes on this kind of like a... A fixed length tether. Yeah, like a tether of... And fixed link. A fixed link. Yes. Okay, yes, right. That's like a physics, because there's no... I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like a pendulum. You've got this yes. pendulum swinging off You become off a of pendulum, you. and then you have to navigate out... 
but the the pod has the same mass yeah. as you. So it pulls, when you start thrusting a different direction, it continues to pull yeah. and rotates around you. And I don't know if you remember this, but when we were in university together, mm -hmm. physics class, mm -hmm. I was trying to program a thrust clone on my Amiga. Oh yeah, I don't remember this. And I could totally handle the ship on its own, like the regular gravity yeah. and thrust and all that. But when you pick up the pod, I could not figure out how sure. to simulate that. Yeah. And I remember us going to our physics teacher. I'm thinking assistant. about him right now. Keith. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who actually married a coworker of mine really? for a while. Yeah. So actually I would bump into him occasionally. But I remember asking Keith, I think you were there. Yeah. You might have been around. I said, like, Keith, help me out with these. My physics uh, TA. TA. Keith, help me out with this. I don't think I don't think he could figure it out either. I don't think he knew what to do. Like he he had the physics, but he wouldn't have the programming necessarily. No, I, well, I wasn't asking for the programming. Yeah. I was just asking for the, how do you model this with yeah. physics? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because for whatever reason, I had some sort of project going on. I think it was probably because I was really into um, uh, Flatland and Paraland or um, oh, yeah. Flatland and the Planiverse by A.K. Dudney who's a University of Toronto comp sci and math professor, but I was programming my own solar system model for my own fun and enjoyment. Yeah, well, and as people do. As people do. And, and I actually managed to get it worked out. And I remember going and talking to Keith about how to work out, okay, so how do, how do like these multiple bodies in motion work and stuff like that? And how do, how do you work out orbits and stuff like that? And I actually had some stuff worked out and I brought it to him and he said, congratulations, You've rediscovered Kepler's laws of planetary motion. <laughs> yes, yeah. Fun memories, programming, physics with Keith, and the crazy physics was so well modeled in Thrust. Yeah. Yeah, I remember like sometimes you could just for fun, like on the first level or so, you get the pod, you bring it up to the planet's surface, but before you go up far enough um, up into the sky to reach orbit or space or yeah. whatever, you could like just kind of get that thing whipping around <laughs> yes. you for fun. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to whip it around for fun and see what happens. And then, yeah, eventually I'm going to crash or whatever. Yeah, but. yeah. You could have a lot of fun with the physics. Yeah, and you did complete each level by carrying the pod up out of the atmosphere, up to the top of the planet. Yeah. And you weren't ever totally sure where you would hit that mark. Yeah. But you didn't want to waste any more fuel than you had yes. to. So you'd just be kind of thrusting a little. And like, gravity. I'm be, sure I'll make is it. Is this enough? And, you and just, oh, no, I'm starting to go back go down. down again. Yeah. Yeah. And another neat thing about the game is there was actually two ways to beat each level, or kind of three if you combine them. You could pull the pod out. Yeah. But you could also just go down and find the reactor, a little yeah. shoot the reactor, then get out of the planet before it blew up. Yeah. And you would also finish the level. And the very best was if you could get the pod and blow mm. up the reactor, which is really tricky with mm -hmm. it pulling you down, and still get out. Yeah. And I'm not sure you could do that on all six levels, but you could certainly do it on four or five of them. Yeah. And it was challenging, but funny. You got extra points for it. A couple questions to see if I remember things right. Yeah. Um, are there levels where things are invisible, like the walls are invisible or things blink yeah. out every if once you, in a while? If, were you pretty good at it then? Well, you know how you sent a Commodore 64 with me down to the Minneapolis when yeah. I went to college there for a couple of years? I played me 
quite a bit of thrust Yeah. down in college. Okay, well then you probably are good enough because yes, you play those six levels and when you complete them, you play the six again, yeah. but with reverse gravity. Yeah, yeah. That was the other thing I was going to ask you. Yeah, and if you get through all six of those, then you play an invisible level where yeah. you can only see when most you, like, the level. Tractor beam or something? When, yeah, when you turn your shield tractor beam yeah. on. But that depletes uh, fuel faster. Yeah, I can't imagine I ever made it that far. Well, that to see the reverse, so I could do that. I think I could get to level seventeen. Yeah, one away from completing another group of six. Yeah, which is when you see reverse gravity and, and invisibility, invisibility combined. Yeah, and then I think, but I've never done that. Yeah, and then I think then you finish the game after yeah. that. So Thrust, it also it just had a fantastic title screen tune. Yeah. Yeah, that was a game I first was introduced to in Australia when I lived there in 1987. Ah. But then played it tons when I got home yeah. as well. Before we get to my top pick, can I throw in a few honorable mentions? Things that space games that I enjoyed, but sure. for whatever reason, I didn't choose to be my top three and that you might have a, a quick little comment on them. For the ColecoVision, Space Fury. Oh, is this the game that freaked you out? Totally. Yes, because there was a great big one-eyed, head. green, yes. one-eyed alien guy head. Yep. Oh yeah, just this goes back to us talking about aliens freaking you out. Oh yeah. And there was yeah, this big face talking at the screen. Yeah. And yeah, and then the game itself was kind of like an asteroid. Kind of like an asteroid, yeah. But with lots of firepower that yeah, you, you could, could pick choose up. like your different power ups at the beginning of yeah. each each phase. But and yeah. You kind of docked with your power ups yeah, and then that's you would right. get like side shooters or like big four bullets yes. forward one yeah. or yeah. So the yeah. big green head that talks yeah. to you and the lips move and, <laughs> and, and a really great tune theme oh, for the common okay. man, uh, was played do, 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 do a very majestic kind of thing yeah. that you might hear in 2001 space odyssey or something. And I think that space fury, I only ever saw in the arcade once. And it was on that trip to Maine that I talk about once in a while. Oh yeah. We went to Maine. Yeah. I barely remember anything except a couple of the arcades that I ended up in. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I think they had Space Fury there. Very good. Yeah. I was thinking I might include, but I didn't include. So this is also honorable mentions. I didn't pick any Amiga games, mm -hmm. but uh, Blood Money, Xenon 2. Yeah. Lots of fun uh, there. Great looking games. Great graphics. Um, Psygnosis stuff for Blood Money. I don't yeah. remember who did Xenon too, if that was Bitmap Brothers, maybe. Yeah, that maybe. was Bitmap Brothers, I yeah, think. Yeah, but uh, that, that looks really great too. Yeah, yeah. a lot of fun shoot em up action with those guys. Defender by Williams in the arcade. Yeah. That was a lot of fun, that game yeah. too. Um, the crazy explosions yeah. and the, just the feel, all the firepower. Yeah. And again, like that inertia and stuff yeah. that we like, even though it didn't have the gravity, it had the inertia, lots of fun. The radar. Sierra Online, the Space Quest the series. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know if that's if that would have counted or not, but sure. I enjoyed playing those games. I liked a lot of the Sierra Online games. I yeah. don't think I ever finished any of them in particular, yeah. but uh, yeah, lots of fun. We, 
we were able to play those on the Amiga. Yeah. Yeah. They yep. published a lot of them for the Amiga. They certainly did. Yeah. yeah. So those were, those were pretty cool. Everyone likes Galaxian and Galaga. Gyrus is pretty cool. Yeah. Great music circling around. Yeah. And you but really do get back to earth in that really game. You really do get back to unlike earth. Unlike yeah. Cosmic Heart. Yeah. I think we may have talked about yeah, Gyrus in another did. episode and, and, and how much I like that one. Last one that I want to give as an honorable mention, Gorf. I yeah. really like Gorf. Gorf had a lot of good things going for it for an early, almost in some ways, a Space Invader-y type clone or Galaga Galaxian oh, yeah. type it, it clone. Was a to- it was totally a clone. Yeah. It had like a real Space Invaders ripoff. Yeah. First level. Yeah. And then a real- Like Phoenix. Yeah, like a Phoenix it ripoff. Basically, was ripping off a bunch of different games. <laughs> yeah, and so like you got was it four or five different levels four, to it? Four, four levels. levels. Yeah. Yeah. So you got like four different games to play yeah. on it. Four different space games, and it had speech synthesis to it. Yeah. So it kind of egg you on. I had that for my Commodore sixty four. Oh and yeah. I think that was what was that? I guess that was nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Or was that? Christmas 984, 84. Anyway, when we moved to Toronto, I ended up with Gorfun Cartridge. Okay, I yeah. played a lot of it. Yeah, and of course, yeah. I remember it being at Golden Castle Games on May Street uh, on that back wall. If you were sitting playing Gauntlet, Gorf was behind you, okay. taunting you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So those are my honorable mentions. My third and final pick of the night i thought that i was going to throw a little monkey wrench into your plans here but you already know what it is yeah 1984's commodore 64 space taxi hey taxi pad one please (laughs) super cool game so yeah and in in some ways very much. I, actually, I'm kind of sensing a bit of a theme with some of the stuff that we have found that we like. Space Taxi, in some ways, is like a thrust. Um, yeah. You are fighting gravity with your taxi cab, your space taxi cab. Yeah. It's, let's let's talk about Space Taxi at a high level first. Space Taxi is a game where you are piloting a taxi around these very surreal locations. Might be like a, a big candy cane place it could be a ping pong table um a beanstalk i think is one of the levels it it reminds it's a little bit like a coruscant style city where if you remember in i guess it was episode one when they first go or is episode two where they first go coruscant episode one and they've got there's all that traffic going around they land on these landing pads yeah that's right like cloud city or something like that city yeah so it's it's inspired a little like that. Yeah. Yeah, and and actually almost none of it takes place in space. No. But the the taxi itself is like a space vehicle. It's That's like what a we're Jupiter thinking. lander type Jupiter thing, lander. right? Yeah. yeah. So it it you've got like your your thrust from below and left and right and you've got landing gear that pop out for when you're landing. And yeah, you just kind of go from location to location on a fixed screen picking up passengers, dropping them off at different locations. And once you do a few, depending on the screen, uh, the the top of the screen opens up and the passenger will say, up, please. Yeah. And and you'll just take them off the screen and you'll go to an, the next level, which would be a different screen with different types of obstacles and stuff, and yeah. you'd continue it. Space Taxi, in some ways, reminds me of Jumpman in that... When we were talking, when we were playing it on the games that we like on the C64 mini video yeah, that we did. The, yeah, 
YouTube. Yeah. On the YouTube video. That's right. We were talking about how Jumpman was really neat in that it had this core mechanic, but on many of the levels, it would add other mechanics to the game mm -hmm. that would make, they would just switch things up and, and you'd be doing things like switches or fire bombs or just weird things that would add to, to different levels. And in somewhat the same way, space taxi from level to level adds different things. It adds switches, the beanstalk level. It has the platforms are, it has this beanstalk, this, this thing growing from the middle of the screen up to the top. And then the platforms are like the leaves that are growing out either side, but it builds, it creates, it grows as you're playing the game. So it's pretty unique that way and, and adds some, some fun variety. I mentioned the ping pong level. You're just playing on this ping pong table, like yeah. gigantic ping pong table. And there's this huge ping pong ball that's just kind of bouncing back and forth between the yeah. ping pong paddles and you've got to avoid it. Yeah. And it's just this weird thing that happens to show up on this one level. Yeah. So all that's space about this is that it's this lower gravity. Almost all the games we're talking about either have low gravity or maybe no gravity mm -hmm. right and so we're playing with interesting physics yeah yeah and like that's what i was kind of getting at like that's it's yeah. kind of a theme that we're finding we like yeah. well physics simulated games even yeah. like the comets and crazy comets how they yeah. how they loop around and yeah so it's, it's all stuff that we don't really see here on earth because there's so much gravity mm -hmm. low gravity is is just inherently fun when we get to play with it simulated yes yeah yeah for sure there's just something fun about slower physics yeah yeah mm. and and something that we were talking about that you were talking about uh right off the beginning you know why space games and, and what makes space games so fun back in the 80s is you could it's an excuse to do whatever kind of thing you want yeah. and i think that's why this ended up being space taxi yeah. why is this space taxi yeah. because we're just going to be doing some weird things and if we call it space taxi even though it doesn't look like it's taking place in space, yeah. eh, it's space. Yeah. You need these kind of things in space. <laughs> That's right. That's okay. It's space taxi. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we alluded to it earlier, but it has this super fun speech synthesis in it. Yes. Uh, every time uh, a new customer shows up somewhere on the screen, they greet you with, hey, taxi. That's right. And you go over to their pad and then they tell you, pad three, please. <laughs> And if you land on them, <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> they remind me of like the, now you were never, you're never big into Harry Potter, uh, the goblins at Gringotts. Oh, okay. Key, please. <laughs> Pad five, please. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a fun game. In a way, it's like a platformer, mm -hmm. except that you're flying this physics based rocket car around instead of, uh. A running character, yeah, but still has all the same, yeah, like like Jumpman, like yeah, you're like Jumpman, yeah. That it's all these platforms, but you're flying from platform to platform instead of jumping. Yeah, yeah. And and for 1984, like there's a lot of really nice, there's a lot of really good looking games out. Space Taxi is not an awful game to look at, yeah. But the graphics are pretty simplistic. I think it uses actually some of the Petsky graphics characters and then it has some of its own graphics characters, but yeah, yeah just kind of character-based graphics 
for a lot of it. And, you know, yeah. the, the taxi itself is a nice sprite and so are the passengers as they fade in and out, as they yeah. beam in or materialize. <laughs> if you can just materialize on the pad, why don't you just materialize on the pad you want to go to, buddy? Why do you need the taxi? Yeah. Not to argue with you. Okay. But I found that 1984 still had a lot of pretty ugly looking games. Yeah. And it was 85, 86. Okay. Where there was an increased focus on the graphics of the games where we started in 1984, you didn't see many Commodore or Atari or whatever games that you thought, Oh, that looks nice. Okay. Well, name, name some, if you have some, but uh, I can't think of anything but, right now, but I found from 80, like the Commodore 64 came out in late 80, in 82. Yep. And then 83, 84 was a lot of the games looked about the same as the Apple and Atari games. But by around 85, the C64 had clearly gained the upper hand in games okay. market. Sure. And it became the primary platform that people were developing for. Yeah. And that's right okay. when I think C64 games started looking really good. All right. Yeah. I'll give you that. Like then. I'm thinking of Hardball and I'm yeah. thinking it was 85. Yeah. The games that just really showed off the graphics. Sure. All started in 85, 86. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Space Taxi. Space Taxi. Okay, Darren, and my final pick. You're reaching into your bag and pulling in, something out. Reaching into the bag. I have got, you You mentioned a platform we hadn't talked about in your honorable mentions. The Amiga. Yeah. Yeah. So here Ooh. is Star Glider 2. Oh, and I've got my I'm boxed copy. feeling like I'm recognizing it from the cover here. Yeah. I That's bought a great this, looking ship. I bought this with my real money in Ooh, 1988. Rainbird. This was a really neat game in a lot of ways. Star Glider 2. It's a 3D game. Nice. Yeah, you play with the mouse and you're viewing out of the cockpit of your ship. You can fly around. You're yeah. blasting. So it's a little like Star Wars. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Neither of us chose Elite or even gave it an honorable mention. Yeah. It it deserves an honorable mention. Elite is a cool technical achievement for whatever reason. It never really... It's so hard to dock with the space station. I... I just never got the bug for it for yeah. some reason. Like it, it's a super cool game. And yeah. the, it does some things really well. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people this, really love it. It's massively yeah. huge. Yeah. I could never dock with the space station. Yeah. <laughs> so Star Glider. Star Glider has a little bit of that elite thing going on with it, where you've got the ship, you can pick up objects. Mm -hmm. The first thing that blew my mind in Star Glider was that you're flying around the surface of a planet. Yeah. In 3D, it's not wireframes. It's actual, the flat. Polygons? Yeah, it's like polygons. Full polygons. And yeah, you're shooting things kind of like uh, Star Wars Arcade. But you pull back and you start flying higher. And you don't hit any ceiling. You leave the planet. Yeah. Suddenly you're out in space. Yes. And you look around, there's the sun and there's other planets. I'm starting to remember this now too. Yeah. yeah. And and then there's like a warp and you use the keyboard a fair bit. It's been a long time since I played it and I watched the playthrough mm -hmm. part. I watched a video on it to refresh my mind. I didn't actually play it before this. I right. Chance. Just the, like, I remember now that you're talking about the smoothness of being on the planet going up and then whoosh, you're out in space. Yeah. And it's because most games, there was some sort of transition. You didn't just go from planet to space because it'd be like a totally different way of the programming behind it would be like a totally different paradigm for when you're on the, yeah, on the planet versus be... in going planet to planet. But Star Glider just 
seamless. Yeah, you were just, you were out. I guess it had some sort of transition effect, but it was almost instant and it made sense. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. can't see space through the atmosphere. Yeah. But then once you get through, wow, you're you're out there, turn towards one of the planets. There's like a, some sort of semi-warp mode mm-hmm. and all the stars start streaking as you quickly fly towards that planet. Yeah. And then once you get there, you can land in the planet. Some of them have these tunnels that you can fly down into. Mm. And this is where I, I only got so far with the game. You go get into these rooms and there's something talking to you in this little status display. Yeah. And you bring them objects that they want. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of got that adventure game thing going on. Yeah. There's this one planet that's like a, a gas giant like Jupiter. And it has space whales. Yes. The, the space, space whales. whales. And I had never experienced something like, I don't even know if they have a point in the game. I would never experienced a space whale well, before. Yeah. I, I never experienced something so atmospheric, like mm-hmm. you're just sitting near them and they're just peacefully yeah. wandering around and they got the awesome whale call going on, you know, in stereo, I think yeah. on the, well, the Amiga it can't help but be stereo. <laughs> um, whether it was well done stereo or not, I'm not sure, but just to peacefully sit there yeah. and listen to these these creatures. Yeah. Uh, it was just so alien. It was so in space. Yeah. It was so, yeah. <laughs> just a, a really neat game. Just the idea that here is a whole solar system that I can go explore. Yeah. Freely. Yeah. Yeah. Not going level by level. Not yeah. going like all the other kind of yeah. gameplay. Just this kind of real open world. No, open world, open solar system yeah. that you can wander. Yeah. And a couple other neat things about it. Like I said, this is a game I actually bought my, with real money. I still have my boxed copy of yeah. it. I spent a bit of time this afternoon trying to piece it all together again. I'm going to open it, okay. open it up and I couldn't find one thing that's got like a plastic tray in here. Pulling the plastic tray out. Mm. It has a small blue book that says play guide. Yeah. That has some instructions. Yeah. It's got a novella included, which did double as a copy protection kind of thing. Oh, and it's got another little pamphlet that says Amiga Atari ST key guide. And so I think this novella also doubled as their copy protection where you have to type in a certain word from a certain page. Yeah. 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 Of course it came with the disc. Yes. Three and a half inch Amiga disc. I do have it, but it's not in here is a cassette, an audio cassette was included. And it has a really cool theme song on cassette with like, I don't know if it's just MIDI instruments or whatever, but it sounded really cool. Right on. And if you had one megabyte of RAM, if I remember, normal Amiga 500 had 512K, but if you had the RAM expansion, it would actually load in a super long wave file type thing into memory and then play back a better approximation of the cassette music on your actual Amiga. And it it was pretty good. Cool. And it just made you feel like, oh, I'm getting bo- nice bonus stuff yeah, here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It felt like, well, this is this is worth buying. That's right. Getting all this extra stuff with it. That's right. Yeah. I had forgotten all about Star Glider 2. Yeah. But now that you've been talking about it, like, yeah, it's all coming back. I don't think, I think because you bought it, I probably only was playing it at your place. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. And that, you probably got that relatively early on in our Amiga time, eh? Yeah. I think I bought it in 88 or 89. Yeah. So that would be 30 years now. Ooh. It's still one of those but games. But the Amiga's a new computer. I know. <laughs> and 
it's still one of those things that's on my mind where like, oh yeah, that's one of those games I never did finish, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to finish that one one day. One day. Yeah. What? Oh yeah. I'll just get, I'll, I'll get back to that game. In 2019. Oh I can't believe that's 30 years ago, but it is. Hashtag Starglider 2 2019. <laughs> Let's find out if Robin finishes oh, it. I don't know. Five years, I think, mm. has been since I last turned an Amiga on. Yeah. Eh? I've still got a bunch at home. But yeah, good. They just don't. A bunch. Yes. I have a shelf full of Amigas. I've probably got about 10 Amiga 500s. Mm-hmm. And I've got an Amiga 1000. Yeah. And I used to say I have an Amiga 2000, but earlier this year, I learned that I have two Amiga 2000s. <laughs> Who ever heard of somebody oh, not noticing? The other Amiga 2000. Ever, Amiga 2000s are ridiculously big boxes. They're large. Yeah, they, yes. they are huge. And I did. I opened a box stuck under my table. Oh, I thought, oh, there's my Amiga 2000. Cool. And then. Wait, it's and, over there. And I was like. And it's over here. <laughs> How could my single Amiga 2000 be two places what, at once? What is going on here? Do you have any 600s? Do you have any 1200s? <laughs> no, I wish. I had a 1200 briefly. Yeah. And I felt like I really owed my friend a big favor. Yeah. My friend Adrian. Oh, yeah. Who really helped me out with. Uh, some stuff for work yeah. once. Yeah. I gave him my Amiga 1200. You know what? He's a good guy to give an Amiga 1200 if to. If you're going to give it to anybody. Give it to Adrian. Give it to Adrian. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. How many Commodore 65s do you have? I have zero. I mean, how many 65s. Commodore. 65s. How many Commodore plus fours do you have? Oh, I have four or five Commodore plus fours. How many of them used to be mine? I think two, <laughs> maybe three, but I think I, I, I think I only had two. Yeah. There was a time in our lives where Darren and I would travel down to Chicago to go to the uh, SRAP, the Commodore Showdown in Chicago. Yep. And it seemed like every year Darren would win a plus four. They're just giving them away. They're giving them away. And, and it Darren always, was taking them. And, <laughs> well, I think you were actually winning them. Yeah, like, I think there was, was some kind of. Oh, look. Another plus four. I really, really wanted to love the plus four yeah. when I was in college. Yeah. And I tried. Why didn't it have hardware sprites? Yeah, it it was it was a really dumb thing. There's a whole story to how that the plus four, Jack Tremail, yeah. before he left Commodore. To wreck Commodore. Well, no, he was still running Commodore, but oh, he got yeah. kicked out. Yeah, and then he decided to wreck it. Oh yeah, before, but he didn't do it successfully. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Okay. Now I see what you mean. He well, he got kicked out and decided he would try and ruin them. Yeah. Before he left, he wanted a forty-nine dollar computer because he had his Commodore sixty-four yeah. and he had his Vic twenty. Yeah. And they were ruling things. Yeah. Like they they were winning, <laughs> but he saw a couple players were coming in really cheap, and he wanted to kill them too with forty-nine dollars. So he said, "Boys." Make me a $49 computer so I can destroy that, yeah. all those competitors too. Wow. So the, the boys got to work and made him a good $49 computer, but then he was leaving and the marketing department got a hold of it mm -hmm. and they were stupid, mm -hmm. those people. Yeah. And they said, oh, well, we should sell this for $200, just like the Commodore 64. Uh, we'll make it better by sticking a really useless word processor mm -hmm. in the ROM. Yep. Yeah, we know the sound isn't as good. We know it doesn't have sprites. We know this will be 
worse in most ways, but it does have more colors, like the Atari. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is good. Let's sell this alongside the C64. Oh, and we want to get rid of the VIC-20, so make a C16, which is a plus four in a VIC-20 case that's <laughs> painted black. And sell that for $99, but never sell the $49 one. Yeah. They were, it's it's a whole nother. I'm sorry I asked. Yeah, sorry about that, Darren. <laughs> don't you... We would have finished on time if it wasn't for that. I don't think so. Okay. Darren, we named our six, I don't know if they're really our favorites, but anyway, six. Yeah, six fun space games to talk about tonight. Yeah. And just like many things in life, like your favorite child. Yeah. You know, it changes from day to day. It definitely favorite child changes from day to day. (laughs) Absolutely. So our favorite space games may change from day to day too. Yeah, tomorrow I'll feel- But that was was a fun- that was, that was, those were some fun choices you got there. It was a good romp through. It was a good time. Space gaming. I want that. to, I want to play some space invaders with you on the actual, on the 2600 now. Yeah. yeah. We should, Fire we should get together and do that sometime. Robin and Darren play various space invaders. Yeah. Let's, Darren and Robin play every variation, <laughs> all 100 and. Live stream. Yeah. The live stream. Four day weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Is I think it is one of those ones that says like 120 variations or something. Here we are again, not finishing the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Darren. Yes, Robin. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. <laughs> Push that like button. Push that like button. Give me a thumbs up. I've been spending way too much time on YouTube. Do all the things. Hey, if you've made it to the end of our podcast, yep. we want to sincerely thank you for spending some time with us. Apparently you've either been asleep or you've enjoyed it. And if you've enjoyed it, would you mind uh, recommending our podcast to one of your friends? Yeah, we'd appreciate that. Please do check out our various YouTube channels. We'll have linked to them on our website, thecouch.website. Yeah. And you might enjoy that aspect of things too. If you, if you like this podcast, let us know. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Yep, we like to hear about your memories. What's your favorite space game? You like Space Lego? Who doesn't like Space Lego? I expect everybody to be tweeting us at Darren the Folds and at Bedford LVLEXP well saying, done. I love Space Lego. I love Space Lego. Oh, wait, there's a classic Space Lego bot. Oh, I can't remember its exact name, but I'll I'll link to it too. Anyway, every every like hour it tweets a picture of classic Space Lego. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So for Robin Harbin. I'm Darren Folds. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good night.